Some people just wanted to know how do we participate and show our support and not come under fire? And how do we move on and continue our business and continue yeah, making money? Exactly. It was like, what can I say that's going to appease people and say what I want, what I think that people want to hear? Welcome to Wave Social Podcast, powered by Arcade Studios. My name's Mike. I'm here with my co-host, Mitzi, and we've curated a show for digital marketers, advertisers, and modern entrepreneurs who want to stop chasing the tide and start making waves online. Each episode, we'll sit down with the tastemakers and strategic minds behind some of the most engaged communities and up-and-coming brands. We'll pull back the curtain on their strategies and experiences to uncover the methodology behind their seismic impact. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Okay, welcome back to the Waves Social Podcast. I think we're on the back half of our season now. Yeah. Uh, unless we just decide to be generous and give you, give you all more episodes. But for now, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got some very special guests. Mitzi, who are they? Yeah, we have Melanie Trottier. She is the social media lead at Arcade at our home base. Um, she is your internet big sis. Uh, she's been working in social media for over five years. She has an audience of over 50,000 followers across Instagram and TikTok and executed social media campaigns for every type of company from tech startups to nonprofits to e-commerce and lifestyle brands. She is the leader of social media at our agency and we're just really proud to have her on our team. She knows her stuff. Our second guest, this is a two-guest episode, is Leah Suku. She's a copywriter at Arcade. Uh, unofficial copycat is her official bio. <laughs> She's driven by inner leading to explore beauty. She writes beautiful poetry. She's a free, also a freelance writer and ghostwriter, and she's contributed to articles in Canadian magazines such as Flair and Toast. And most recently, she's thrilled to be part of a writing team for a Bible being published by HarperCollins later this year. So that's these two um, heavyweights. We're this really, is really excited. really a double doozy. It really is. Yeah, typically we'll have one guest on and Mitzi and I can just kind of vibe off extracting value from them. But in this case, we've got two and uh, the conversation couldn't have been better. There was a lot of different key points that we covered, a lot of specific conversations that we got into. And Mitzi and I really work hard to make sure that it's not just theoretical conversations, but you really come away with value. And mm -hmm. I can say with confidence that there's value in this conversation. Totally. And I may just give a bit of background as to why we wanted to have this conversation. Yeah. You know, after 2020 and the tumultuous year that it was, we just felt it wouldn't do our industry justice if we didn't talk about the important conversations that have happened in 2020, such as racial injustice and any and all crisis communications, because yeah. it was a really, truly a difficult year for so many marketers, so many social media managers. So this episode, we hope will equip you for tackling these kind of situations in the future and also give you some action items to do in terms of personal work so that you're better equipped to be a better marketer in 2021. Yeah, I think it's a great reminder as we get into this new year that if we don't learn from what happened last year, then we have failed. Totally. And I think it's easy now that we're into 2021 to just kiss 2020 goodbye mm -hmm. and say good riddance, you know, but 
I think we need to spend some time in our pain a little bit sometimes yes. to to really take away um, what we need to take away from it and be better because of it. So uh, Leah and Mel brought a lot of a really important perspective. Mm -hmm. And of course, it always comes down to point of view and the experiences that we've had. Um, so we know that with within our listeners, uh, there's a whole variety of different experiences. And I mean, we'd love to hear yours. You know, mm -hmm. you can slide into our DMs anytime, or we may even take this conversation to Clubhouse afterwards. But um, just take it with a grain of salt, knowing that uh, your experience may be different than ours, but we're we're trying to be empathetic and we're trying to have a wide perspective. And we hope this just gives you some sort of benefit or learning. Yeah, I would love for this to become a conversation. So let's figure out how to make that happen. But in this episode, you're going to hear um, a few different themes go on. Uh, like we mentioned, a lot of crisis comms, what happened behind the scenes. Also, we dive into a little bit of like expectations between big brands versus small brands. Um, so if you're a small brand, this is going to be really helpful to kind of see like what are the expectations realistically for you kind of navigating crisis com communications um, and then also what to do before you prepare a statement. I think we talked ab about statements a lot because as marketers, we had to make a lot of statements last year. So um, this is kind of like a great episode to reference maybe later if you're kind of going to come across that situation again before you prepare a statement, what to do first. Yeah. And I think the, th the thing that really stuck out to me as the theme overall was that, you know, social media and marketing really is a performance. And there's a lot of negative connotations that come with the word performance, but really it is. It, it, it is what it is. And I think there, you can perform online and with your marketing communications without misleading people. And that's something that we really get into without necessarily being inauthentic, still holding true to your values, but also understanding that you're speaking to a specific audience. So yeah, this episode is so good. It's a bit longer, but it's because it's an important conversation. But we're going to stop talking about it. Let's just get into the episode. Before we do, Mike, do you want to read a review for us? Yeah, I got one. Uh, it's a really it. good one. It says, must listen. It's a five-star review from Sarsop3j. It says, Mitzi and Mike's podcast is engaging, relevant, and interesting. It's great to have come across a podcast that is so attuned to the contemporary marketing landscape. Listening to Mitzi and Mike feels like chatting with friends over a coffee who are conveying expert knowledge in a fresh and approachable manner. Thumbs I up. love that. Chatting with friends over coffee. Yeah. If only we could. If only we could. Someday soon. Mm-hmm. Well, should we get into it? Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the Wave Social Podcast. I am very, very excited about this episode because we have two of Arcade's finest, uh, Melanie Trottier, is that right? Yeah. And Leah Suku are joining us. Um, welcome here, guys. We're so excited for this episode. Uh, to kick things off, let's start with Mel. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got to where you are now? Thanks, Mitzi. Thanks for having us. Um, my name is Melanie. I am the social media lead at Arcade, and my role involves overseeing all of our clients' social media programs, creating social media strategies, staying up to date on all of the latest and greatest in the industry. And then I also really get into the weeds of sourcing content, drafting copy, um, directing what we need in terms of visual assets. And sometimes that involves meme making, which is a part of my job that I love. Um, I have a 
background in PR and marketing, and it was specifically in the tech and startup space, but I was really drawn to the work that Arcade is doing. I feel like it's very 2021. The work is very creative and agile and really fun. So I feel like we're really making waves for ourselves and for our clients, and it feels really good. So thanks for having me. Yay. Wow, I she's making <laughs> waves. Did you guys hear that? Yes. Trying to make waves. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I think arguably you are. You already. definitely are making waves. Actually, Mel, since you're here, I do want to say that you people have requested that we have you on the podcast. So wow. this is a, a welcomed episode for lots of people who've been asking. So it's going to be great. And wow. I feel like one out of five leads for Arcade says, <laughs> I discovered you guys through Melanie on Instagram. So. The power of social media, people. No kidding. Seriously. All right, Leah, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you support clients, and how you got started doing that. Sure. Well, first of all, I want to apologize for everyone who's here from Mel and who doesn't want to hear from me. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Fake news. My name is Leah. And I'm also important in terms of the RK team. I don't have much of a social media presence compared to Mel, but I'm... Also making waves. Can yes. I say that? Yeah, yes, or absolutely. trying to. Hundred percent. Yeah, I'm the resident copywriter, and I'm just going to go ahead and explain that because sometimes people don't know what that means, and they're like, "How did you get into copyright?" I'm like, "That's not at all." What <laughs> Never that got means. into it. I'm not yeah, in. That. I have no idea how you get a copyright for. <laughs> As something. So not my job, but I do just deal with anything language related, writing, editing, proofreading, all of the beautiful elements that is a part of the human language. So I work with brands primarily to just do writing that is, I mean, really anything. So I do a lot of, let's say, some social media writing occasionally. I do newsletters. I do internal documents. And then obviously I do a lot of proofreading and editing for the team just to kind of quality, some quality assurance, essentially, just to make sure things are really tight and clean. And I've always been a writer. So initially I thought, oh, I'm definitely just going to be a writer in this more creative sphere. And of course, when you're young and naive, you think, oh, I can definitely make money doing that. And then you realize nobody makes money doing that. But I... Still, obviously, love creative writing. I write personally. I still do some writing for different freelance clients and assist other friends who are writers. But I kind of got into the sphere when I was exploring copywriting as an option and copy editing as an option because I was getting a lot of opportunities from people who are like, oh, you have an English degree. That must mean you're really good at editing. And I was like, not really, because surprisingly, you don't learn a lot about grammar throughout your education. And it wasn't a big part of my degree. I'm studying literature. I'm analyzing literature. I'm doing some critical analysis. I'm not necessarily learning like why I would use a semicolon versus a comma. So I had to learn a lot more about that. And then as I got deeper into it, I realized I really loved it. And A lot of friends of mine were like, you would be a really great editor. So I was doing some of that more, I would say a few years ago. And as a freelance editor, I was getting different projects. And then I was pursued by a woman who runs an agency. She needed some website copy for a client. And that was my first stab at writing for branding and marketing. And it turned out I was pretty good at it. And one thing leads to another. And here I am. So I would say that that's how I got here. 
Totally. Yeah. And I was going to say, you're not just a copywriter because you're also a marketer. Like as much as you say, you just do. Yeah. As much as you say, you just do the writing. You really do think holistically about the brand, what they're saying. So much of what, you know, their message is has to do with marketing. So it's pretty rare to find someone like that who's like thinking about the words, but also like why yeah. they're saying that. That's objective, true. yeah. Yeah, that's true. I do have a very visual mind. And so I love working with our creative director and our designers. And I love working with the social media team to help them flesh out a campaign. So sometimes I come up with different ideas for let's do this meme or let's do this different sale. Let's do this campaign. And so I think a lot of obviously marketing comes down to how are you going to communicate or convey a message? How are you going to articulate this on behalf of a brand? And that comes to all of these different elements, which is not just writing, but visuals and all the other parts of it. And so being able to think in that way, I think has been really fun. And I love working with the team to just flesh out the different elements that are involved with our clients. Yeah. I was going to say that Leah truly is an integral part of the team. And I think that we as a team, bring her in on so many different things. There's so many instances where if there's anything to do with language or copy, we're so happy that you're there to help us and to guide us. And yeah, I think that as Mitzi said, you touch so much more than just writing copy for a website, for example. Wow, guys, I feel so good. (laughs) Yeah, you both both touch so much more than just what you do at Arcade. Like you, I I don't know if you want to chat a little bit about what you guys are doing on the side, but there's so much more to you both than just what you do in your nine to five. Mm -hmm. That's true. I mean, mainly I just do a lot of different reading and writing things. So for like me personally right now, I do a lot of different creative writing and I love being able to write about fashion or sustainability. I like writing about more philosophical concepts and ideas. I write a lot of poetry on the side. No one gets to see it. Don't ask me to see it because you won't get to. We'll follow up later. (laughs) (laughs) But just like personally, just a way to express myself to navigate my own inner world. Writing is such a huge part of that. And you're going to talk to any writer. They're going to say the same thing to you. Writing is like therapy. It's it's doing the inner work. It's navigating that inner world. And without writing, I probably wouldn't know how I was doing half the time or what was going on inside of me. And I love being able to sit down and really process the things I'm thinking about the things I'm seeing happening around me and then trying to make sense of that and kind of put together these ideas. It's like putting puzzle pieces together for me. I love that. Mm -hmm. And Leah, you have so many interesting things outside of work and like so many passion projects. And I don't know, you're just an interesting person. Yeah, we could, we could take away at so many things. (laughs) Thank you. I think you're interesting. Mel, tell us about what you're doing outside of work. Um, What I am doing outside of work relates to social media as well. Surprise, surprise. I like to create content on Instagram and TikTok. And I really love to create content around mental health, how that ties into social media, as well as self-care. I am getting better with accepting my title as a micro-influencer. So I would describe myself as micro influencers. So I do work with some brands um, on Instagram and TikTok, promoting different products or services and partnering up with brands that I think fit my overall vision for the type of content that I want to create. So it definitely keeps me busy. But the fact that I do a lot of that outside of uh, my nine to five, it kind of brings everything together. And 
I have a lot of time to explore and think about social media as a whole. So I think it, I think it helps me be better at my job. Definitely. Yeah. And we're so, so excited to have you both a part of this conversation for so many people listening. Like obviously 2020 was a tumultuous year to say the least. We all as a collective went through a lot. And back in March when COVID-19 started and started locking down cities around the world, people turned to social media and brands were expected to release statements of solidarity. I think we can all remember when brands started to, to do that. And a few of us in the room have had to do that for clients. And this wave really forced brands to put a pause on their content, reevaluate all their marketing efforts in a way that was more responsible and spoke to where people were at. Then we all remember the video of the brutal killing of George Floyd and the conversation around diversity and how we support black lives. And it was beautiful to see thousands of people around the world turn up and show support both online and in person. But part of that discussion was a spotlight towards brands. And for the first time, many brands came under fire for what they have historically done and how they've historically treated black employees, influencers, and other people of color in their own spheres. So call out started to happen. People were getting really specific about their call outs and demanding for more brands and companies to show their support in real actionable ways. So we all remember all of that happening. A lot of us were, you know, doing that work on behalf of brands. So I'm really excited to have this conversation to hopefully help guide people who are listening, who maybe have to do the same on behalf of other brands. And so we're going to dive into a few topics around this. But Mel, I want to start with you. As a brand manager on the front lines of some of these conversations, what was your gut reaction during that time? Maybe take us back to what you were seeing and what you were first like noticing and how you were reacting. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Yeah, so back in March 2020, it was a very intense time for for many people and for the world in general, and especially on social media, it was very prevalent. And the Black Lives Matter movement pretty much took over social media for a couple of weeks there. And so you were either part of the conversation or or not. I think brands were either part of it or not. Some brands were part of it in a really amazing way. Other brands tried and failed. So for me, um, my gut reaction was to take action. So the way that I felt that I could help in that situation was to jump in and to help um, the clients that I was working with. Um, I was I was helping them to navigate the the situation and to guide them on how they could help or how they could be a part of the conversation and what their place was in that conversation. So for me, it was an emotional time. I think for a lot of people it was emotional, but I really went into action mode. In my nine to five, I was um, having conversations with clients and, and team members. And and then outside of my nine to five, I on my personal channels, we mentioned that I like to create content on Instagram and TikTok. So I started 
being part of the conversation on those channels as well. And I will say that I'm, I was honored to be a part of the conversation and I was welcomed. Um, and that felt really great because as a white person, not everyone was welcome to the table. And I relied or I, I connected with some of my black friends and peers. And I really tried to do some inner work that I had been doing for a long time, but this became very public. And if you were someone, a micro influencer or an influencer or a brand, if you hadn't done this work yet and you were just starting now, there was a lot of opportunity for you to mess up. And you probably did. And we saw that. There was a lot of people that either bowed out from the conversation or were trying to be a part of it and they missed the mark. So for me, I was I was trying to do my best in terms of sharing resources, even specifically targeting influencers or brands and sharing resources on how they could be part of the conversation. And so I really just tried to do the part that that I could, but it was insane and it was very exhausting. And I felt exhausted, but I can't imagine how that experience was for people of color. It was it was crazy. So I learned a lot and I'm happy that I, well, in the end, I was I'm glad that as a social media marketer, I was able to go through that situation because it helped me grow not only in my professional life but in my personal life so it was intense i really tried to jump in and i think that it's great to have these conversations now because we still need to continue doing the work yeah i can only imagine what that must have been like for you mel it was a year of a lot of new normals and what you're trying to do is navigate another new normal and it's an ongoing conversation it was kind of like trying to piece together a car that's already moving. And so I'm watching a lot of my friends manage that. And I think you did a really good job during that time. Thank you. Yeah, you really did, Mom. Okay, Leah, so walk us through what you were seeing when it came to communication and messaging from brands. So I know you were involved in actually writing some of those statements on behalf of brands. And um, what was your approach for crafting messages that would both appease people asking for the receipts when they're looking for actual language, but also like sharing the brand's like values and like intentions for doing better in the future. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, such a big question. And I know there's uh, two questions in that. So one, I'll just start with what I saw and my, what my experience was. So full transparency, I was kind of off social media for most of last year and I kind of jumped back on in, I would say, June and for a little bit of July when a lot of these conversations were happening because as a woman of color and as a person who really enjoys reading and research, I've done a lot of work looking at this topic of racial injustice, white privilege, and just like in general, white supremacy. And so I've done a lot of reading and I've done a lot of research and I'm no by no means an expert, but I had spent the last few years doing a lot of this reading and really tapping into a lot of the narratives in the Black diaspora. And so when I'm watching this whole conversation happen online, I'm like, 
you guys are part of a conversation that's been ongoing. And this has been a conversation that's been going on for a really long time already. And not just within the last few years, but for decades. And so I noticed that I was feeling really frustrated because I'm seeing people who are trying to take the platform and take the stage and add to the conversation as if this is this brand new idea and it isn't. And I know that a lot of people in my life who are also people of color were also frustrated because we're seeing how you think by posting a black square and buying the book White Fragility and making a Who's statement- written by a white woman. Right. Well, I do really like that book. Robin <laughs> D'Angelo, just side note, she- she does really good work, but true. She, it is written by a white woman. And there were issues around that people were like, you should be supporting different authors. If you're going to be dying, buying different books, you should invest your money elsewhere. However, I'm seeing people do this and I'm like, this just this isn't enough, which is hard because I don't like using the word. I don't want people to think that their efforts aren't enough, but it was just a hard space to navigate because there was a lot of nuance that's going to change this narrative or contribute to an ongoing narrative with humility. And I did see people trying their best. I, see, I saw a lot of influencers and brands who were saying, I recognize that I'm not the voice that you want to hear. And I'm not the person who should be speaking up and trying to take attention away from the Black community. So I want to use my platform to elevate some of these other voices. I would I want to use my platform to point towards different brands, different artists, different musicians that you guys should be paying attention to, putting your money towards, or different organizations that you guys should be donating to. And I think that was good to see. There's a lot of awareness. There was a lot of focus on let's pour money in to the Black community. Let's take this time to really just focus our efforts on an issue that demands our attention and really deserves our attention. But at the same time, I'm receiving a, a slew of emails like everybody else from brands that are coming out of the woodwork and they're like, we sell essential oils and we care about black lives. And I'm like, excuse me, since when? Yeah, get out of my inbox. Yeah. No one needed it. No one asked for that. No. And it was hard. I think what was really difficult is you're seeing a company or a brand who are run by human beings who have hearts and they care about these topics. And they're trying to tap into what they see is an important topic. It's important to their audience. It's important to their followers. And they're trying to say, hey, we are listening and we see you and we're, we want to do better. But it was a hard space to navigate. Mm -hmm. And I think that in terms of communication, it was really challenging because, of course, there's a lot of virtue signaling. People mm -hmm. are like, I'm doing so much. Look at what I'm doing and I'm doing all of it. And you guys should just be like proud of me and like get off my back because I'm doing so much. And it's like nobody wants to see that either. And right. so that was really hard. But at the same time, people who aren't seeing anything was also difficult. And in a lot of ways, deafening to people who are saying why aren't you speaking up about this? Do you not care about us? Do you not care about this community? Do you not care about the topics that are really important? And it was interesting to try to work with brands to navigate that messaging. Because for me, it's always going to come down to, but what are you actually doing? Because I'm not going to communicate you're doing something that you're not doing. So we're going to start with a question and saying, what are you actually going to do? What can I tell people you're going to do? And what are you doing? And we can maybe 
talk a little bit about what you're currently doing, but that's not the main message. The main message isn't, this is what we're already doing. It seemed to be people wanted to hear, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do better. This is how we're going to change. This is how we're going to move forward. And so I really appreciated the people who took a more assertive approach. And I would say for myself, helping brands take a little more of an assertive approach in the language that they're using to say, this isn't okay and this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to change. And then making sure that this is something that they're actually going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And following up and having the receipts. People wanted yeah. to see mm-hmm. the receipts. Absolutely. And I wanted to see them too mm-hmm. as just a human being on social media looking at all of this. Because when you posted a black square last year, I remember. Yeah. And I'm going to go back on your account and say, what have you done since then? Totally. Did you buy the book? You post about this, this, and this. Well, what are you doing now? It's eight months later. Are you actually doing anything? Did you actually learn anything? What were you listening to when you said you were listening? I want to know, not in a performative way, right? Because again, I'm a compassionate person, but I'm also observant. And that's the reality of the audience that brands are dealing with. People are observant. They remember. They can go back to a post you made 10 years ago Mm -hmm. on Twitter. Yeah, right. Twitter never dies. Yeah. Twitter doesn't. <laughs> it's a truly a scary yeah. place if you've been a bad person in the past. Totally. But people don't forget and then they can go and see, did you make that change? And so that's where I'm at right now. And of course, I think at the time I was like, well, we'll wait and see. Mm-hmm. Back then, you know, in terms of messaging, it was all about like, what are you doing? Like more focus on action. Yeah. And I want to say too that from like my perspective when that was all happening it was an interesting time for any social media managers or agencies or brand managers to go back to their clients or the owner of the company and be like okay so what are you doing Mm -hmm. because like before those conversations with a social media manager or agency might not have happened but because like social was demanding for to see what brands were doing, it was an opportunity for like from our perspective, the agency to go to the client and be like, okay, you know, we can work on messaging for you, but first let's discuss what you're doing. Absolutely. And that was from like looking back now, although it was stressful and hard, it was a a cool opportunity to to be a leader and to support a client in a way that isn't necessarily part of like our scope or like our natural services. So yeah. I think there's some specific things about what both of you just said that are important to just spend a little bit more time on. One being just that um, a big question was, what are you doing? But even more so like being specific. And I think like it's it was less, like you said, Leah, about what have you done? But it there was an element of that just in contrast to what are you doing? Like if you're doing this now, mm-hmm. how, and I think Mel alluded to that a little bit too, it, if you're doing this now, how does that compare or contrast against what you've done historically Mm -hmm. because that really tells us like is this part of your values or your character as a person or what you think view as important for your brand Mm -hmm. so i'm curious maybe we can just chat a little bit about as we were navigating this with our clients and even for our own business and um, our own communications how how was your direction received Uh, we don't have to be specific but just as general sentiment in working with brands how did you find your guidance was uh, or your counsel was received uh, when it came to being specific about what brands were doing? 
Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. I will say that at this time, it was a really good time to have strong agency client relationships. I think that we all know that it's really important to have those strong relationships. But when you are going into this type of a conversation and you are advising on something as serious as this, you really need your client to trust you. Mm-hmm. So personally, I, I felt that, again, this is really challenging because I'm a white woman. Um, but when I jumped in and was advising clients on how to respond, not only just to um, when BLM was happening, but when COVID happened, I had to advise clients to be specific on how this impacted their customers and that they could do so in maybe an email newsletter. They didn't necessarily need to be posting all over social media. Um, So when I was advising, I felt that it was pretty well received. But again, I really think that it comes down to the relationship that was built beforehand. And did they trust us as social media professionals and other professionals as, as communicators and as people who do this for a living? Did they trust us before this? Because I think that if they did, I think it was it was well received. But at the same time, I also encountered clients wanting to just, you know, what tell us what to do and what to say and not wanting to have these conversations. And as we can see here, we could probably spend all day talking about this stuff. So I think there was a lot to unpack there. And I think some people just wanted to know how do we participate and show our support and not come under fire? And how do we move on and continue our business and continue making money? Exactly. It was like, what can I say that's going to appease people and say what I want, what I think that people want to hear? Yeah. And that's hard. Everyone wanted the magic answer and there was none. And for brands and for influencers, people wanted to know exactly what to do. And to be honest, there wasn't a perfect way to act. I mean, it's an imperfect situation by nature. Mm -hmm. So people wanted answers and they wanted to feel secure in how they were responding to the situation. And we had to realize that there was, there was, you weren't going to feel secure. Like Mm -hmm. this, it's not, it's not fun for anyone. These conversations are so detrimental and have been for so many decades. And so I'm sorry, but you're not going to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. (laughs) It's definitely not comfortable to go out and be like, we haven't done this well. And we have not supported either like if it's our black community or black employees, which like I I think I kept thinking about black employees when I was talking to our clients because I was like, yes, people are asking for you, the brand, to say something right now. But more important than that, your black employees are looking to the leadership team and seeing what they're saying or what they're not saying. And that matters more. Like your internal team matters more. You know, like customers, of course, matter, but like it's more important for your black employees to see that. So it's not easy, not fun conversation, but I think it was an important one. And, I'm, you know, all things considered, it was a productive like process to go through. And I hope like what you were saying, Leah, there's a bit of follow up. And I think, 
you know, for listeners or marketers or whoever's like doing the front lines work of a brand to like be the one holding your client or the brand accountable to some of the things that you've said on behalf of the brand would be really important. Totally. Yeah. I would say because I have a bit of uh, brand and strategy background as well, a lot of my thinking always started with, does this exist um, within your brand pillars or your vision or your your mission in any way? So if it doesn't, maybe it should. Maybe you need to go back to that foundation and see how you can rewire this and re-navigate this foundation that you have. Because really, if it's not part of your brand's vision or values, then your company isn't going to change. People are going to see that. And your your staff, ultimately, like what you're saying, Mitzi, is the, your staff aren't going to feel like that's actually a priority for you. And so whenever I approach this topic, and I, I know f- for some specific clients that I had, it was, I'm not writing anything until you tell me what you're actually doing and showing me how this is woven into your brand. And then we can work on a message that's authentic to your brand and actually is genuine because I think a lot of people have a really good BS radar and they're going to see and hear right through you if this isn't actually part of your brand. And so I want to make sure that I'm articulating a message, very important message, in a way that feels most genuine, most honest, and transparent, while still maintaining that tone of voice that your brand has. But also being able to say, we're going to do different things. We're going to do this differently. This is what we're moving towards doing. And yeah, also, of course, making sure it includes things they're actually going to do. So I'm not going to write, we're going to do diversity training in your internal statement. Is it booked? <laughs> with Robin D'Angelo, yeah, author of White Fragility. Yeah. Is it booked? When is it booked? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who are you hiring? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's like, are you going to do it? When? When are you going to do it? Because I'm not going to include it in this statement if you're not going to do it. It just feels wrong to me because even though you've hired me to do writing for you, I'm not going to communicate something false on behalf of your brand. And I really do feel like these client relationships are important. And I do think that there's an opportunity there to be honest, hopefully build trust through that honesty and say, I really care about your brand. I care about your business. And I care about how you move forward. So this is what I would suggest. I would love to know this information. And then I'd be happy to draft a message for you, for your team, and for your followers. I think this is really important for the specific group within our listeners that are freelancers and service providers, but even more specifically freelancers, because I can only imagine how hard it would have been to provide guidance and navigate this, like the landscape of 2020 on your own, you know, like at least we have a team, we can like work together to craft a solution for whatever the problem is in front of us. I think there's obviously strength in numbers when you're getting or giving advice as well. But I just want to, I guess, note that more so even specifically for the freelancers that are listening and say that you can do it. But Mm -hmm. even more than that, it's like, it's about developing that trust relationship. And I think I just want to encourage everyone in that place or space right now um, to think right now for the future crisis that is going Mm -hmm. to happen. Mm -hmm. What is your relationship like with your customer or your client? And how can you better position yourself 
to have that trust and rapport now so that when the crisis hits, um, you have some like a foundation to stand on when it comes to giving advice and providing direction on critical matters like that. And I think there was likely many relationships between, and not just freelancers, I think it's just amplified for them Mm -hmm. between freelancers or agencies and their clients that didn't go well, you know, or maybe the service provider was just kind of forced into a situation where they had to compromise their values and just get the job done because Mm -hmm. their relationship was as such that if they didn't, they wouldn't get paid. And that's a hard decision to make too. Um, But I think like, if you really think about it in in the context of other relationships, you know, you need to prove why you're worthy of trust. You need to do well with smaller, less urgent matters. And you also need to be specific about, I'm not just here to execute what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. I'm here to provide like strategic guidance as a practitioner mm-hmm. in my space. And this is why you're paying me. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why you need to listen when I tell you what's next. Totally. Like positioning yourself as an expert. Yeah. 100%. And an expert is going to say, I think you've missed this or have you considered this? But with that comes the responsibility of like, make yourself an expert. Don't just mm-hmm. position yourself as one. But like you said, Leah, you've done a lot of reading and research and you've been in many conversations as have you Mel, as have you Mitzi to make sure that when the time comes, we have expertise And we're not just hiding behind this facade of perceived expertise so that we can with confidence make those recommendations. Yeah, I wanted to add, Mike, that's such a great point. If you are a freelancer or a marketer, um, seek out resources and look back on what happened in 2020. There's lots of content and resources out there that detail what brands did well, what they didn't do well, what we can take away from that. There's resources out there of like, you know, what to do as a marketer in a crisis. So I think we need to learn from it. We can't, we, it will happen again. And, and even just for the sake of how big this event was and how monumental and important it is, we should go back and we need to take the time to do the work and to hash out what happened. And also if you are a freelancer or someone who even works in a team, feel free to have a network and reach out to people. Um, For myself, I was part of a team, but I connected with other social media marketers and we were talking with each other about what we were doing, how we were advising and clients, and even just for emotional support. So it's very important to not only have trust with your client, but to have a network of people that you trust, especially if you're a freelancer and you're making these decisions solo. It's huge. Um, Okay. So up until last year, up until 2020, brands could stay away from political discussions, but now it seems like brands can't afford to take a neutral stance. Um, I'm curious for both of you, Mel and Leah, what's your opinion on brands entering the political conversation? Do you think that brands need to be prepared to do so or do you think that they can be neutral? I personally think that while brands are nervous to enter the political conversation because they're nervous to lose customers or clients, they're nervous to alienate a portion of their audience or customers. I personally think that doing so and entering the ring is only going to help you get closer to your ideal customer. So I think that a lot of us think of the customer brand relationship as being very surface level, but I really don't think it is. I think that everything about us as human beings influences how we buy, how we interact with brands, And this includes our social and political views. So 
in the past, brands were able to stay a bit more neutral. But I think now consumers are demanding more transparency. I also think that in our day and age with social media, people are very good at sleuthing online, FBI level. And let's say your organization maybe took some investment from a person who is politically affiliated in a certain direction. That will be found out. It will be exposed, if you will. And so I just urge brands to accept what their, you know, brand's values are and lean into it and run with it. It's only going to bring you closer to who you want to talk to. And while you're nervous about maybe losing some customers who don't feel the same way as you, ultimately it will make your brand stronger in the long run. Yeah, I think that that one is definitely going to be a specific conversation with the brand I'm working with. So I think about this in the terms of a theory that I've been thinking about and reading about a little bit. Do you mind if I talk about it? Get into it. Take us there. Cool. So have you guys ever heard of context collapse? No. No, but when you wrote it in our notes, I did look it up and I I was very interested in it. So <laughs> please give us the cool notes. Amazing. So I, I heard about it through a friend of mine who posted a story last year. I was like, this is fascinating. And then I completely forgot about it. And then it came up in a book that I was reading that Mitzi's currently reading called How to Do Nothing by mm-hmm. Jenny O'Dell. How's the book going, Mitzi? It's pretty good. I'm a slow reader. Yeah, so right. don't quiz me. I'm going to need to read that. It's, it's a good so one. Good. Highly recommend it. Um, So Jenny talks about it in her book a little bit. This idea of context collapse was really fleshed out by a data researcher. I think she worked for Microsoft named Dana Boyd. And it's essentially this idea that um, where you see several different audiences converging that would never otherwise have all been together. And it happens online, but it also happens in our lives. So it actually came up for, I I believe Dana Boyd found this idea in a book that was written pre-internet by a guy who was talking about television. And then she kind of ran with it and started to navigate, how does this apply to the digital sphere at the time, specifically Facebook? And at the time, Facebook was this place where all of a sudden you have a platform or a profile And you're conveying your sense of identity to a wide range of people who might not normally have had access to you all at once. So let's say your parents follow you, you have your yoga teacher follows you, your friends from college, your friends from high school. I'm triggered right now. Yeah, it's it's scary. (laughs) (laughs) It's cool. Um, and so you have all these different people, like your grandma probably follows you, like mm-hmm. le- legit, like your cousins from Trinidad who've never met you before. That's I'm just, just realizing why I don't like Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It all makes sense mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So basically what happens within a context collapse is effectively that whomever is speaking, whether it's you or brand, the message has to be diluted to speak to the lowest common denominator in order to appease the group at large, right? And so if you don't want to offend people, you're going to try to dilute yourself or your message. And what's interesting about that is our identities are really tied into social media now. How we perceive others and how we display ourselves is so much a part of social media and how we build our profiles and our brands. 
especially when your brand is you. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to navigate, how do I display myself to an audience who doesn't really have the context that they would have had if they knew me in person? And I really love this example of, and I don't necessarily think that social media has to be this way, but it's it, te- it tends to be when you have a large following or when you're a brand on social media. So like a great example is if I go on vacation and like rest in peace to vacations, don't know when I'm going <laughs> to go on one again. Um, when I come back, I'll talk about the vacation in many various ways. So at work, I might have one story to tell. At <laughs> my grandma's house, I have a different story to tell. And then with my friends over wine, they are going to hear a different story too. They're going to hear the tea. Oh, they! I'm spilling all the tea mm-hmm. for them. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so everybody gets to experience the story or you or your identity based on the context of the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say your family throws you this massive party. Literally everyone you know shows up. Your uncle twice removed is there. And they're like, oh my gosh, Leah, tell us about this like wild vacation you had. And they put you on the spot and you're, and you're standing there and thinking, how am I going to tell a story that's engaging and appealing to the whole audience, but not offend anyone uh, or cause anyone to have a heart attack because maybe you did something crazy, you know? And so that's not me on vacation, just so y'all know, I'm not crazy. But it's just this idea of you have to dilute your message to appeal to the group. And I think that what's interesting about context collapse is we all obviously experience that and the anxiety around it. And as a brand, you have to navigate this space where people perceive you a certain way And you're trying to talk to a massive audience. And of course, in branding and marketing, we're going to say, who is your target audience? Cultivate a message that's going to connect to your target audience. Don't worry about the rest. You're going to lose some people along the way. No one's, not everyone is going to like you. However, when it comes to a topic of such weight and importance, such as racism, racial injustice, and you want to get into the political sphere, you also have to understand that by making a statement, you are going to lose people. Or by not making a statement, you are going to lose people too because of that, essentially that context collapse that's happening. And you just have to be okay with that. And you have to make a decision of whether or not you're willing to put your stake in the ground, so to speak, and make a statement. Or if you're going to, let's say, do the bare minimum because you don't feel like that's really your target audience's interest. And then you have to roll with that too. And I think it's a very personal decision. And it is also important to understand that a person and a brand are two different things. Like a brand is not a person, right? So we can't treat a brand like a person. And so what we're expecting from a brand is potentially unrealistic because we're looking at the brand as a person and in relationship with a person, we might expect a certain conversation to happen, but in relationship with a brand we're also expecting that conversation to happen. And I think that that's what's really interesting because through what we see on social media, and especially when you get into the fact that we've been online, let's say like Facebook was 2005, 2006-ish. So it's been you know, over 15 years that we've all cultivated our identities online. And we really have to come down to how do we cultivate a singular identity because it's too difficult for people to understand if I present all of these different personalities. 
right? And Jenny talks about that a little bit in her book as well, because we are complex people. We have different facets and personalities and elements to us, but we're not able to really fully portray that. So we have a singular identity, and then we have this space that we have to perform from that singular identity, right? So everything's a performance, whether or not you want to agree with me. It is. Everything on social media is a performance. And when it comes to the digital sphere, it's a performance. So I think what's hardest for me, because I'm the kind of person I'm like, authenticity, like be yourself. I want to see you, genuine you. Like, yes, show off who you are, like be who you really are. And brands are like, yeah, we want you to be who you are too. But it's in reality, it's it's still just a performance online. So what's hard, I think, is when I come down to in conclusion, <laughs> um, sometimes you do have to perform and you do have to say the thing that you maybe you don't want to say and, and give the people what they want because that's what you do as a brand. You give people what they want. And it's also navigating what kind of brand you are. Right. Right. So I think that that's where it comes down to the nuance part for me. It's what kind of brand are you? Are you the kind of brand that's toting like, authenticity, transparency, and all that kind of stuff? Or are you kind of like the the brand that doesn't talk about the personal side? And so the, I think that that's where the nuance comes in. I love that perspective because I feel like it gives you I, – I almost wonder if it's easier – to perform, as you're saying, from a brand perspective because they're not personalities yeah. and don't have to show up as a different way to different people. Mm -hmm. um, like that personality, like complex thing is like doesn't necessarily exist with the brand. Um, so in that sense, that pressure is on to not be like a different person on different platforms or with different people. Yeah. But I also wonder if maybe like this is an opportunity for – brands to kind of do an inventory of their communities and who they want to speak to and what kind of message each of those communities need. So most brands will have like customers, most brands will have investors, most brands will have like employees or volunteers or whatever it is. And each of them have, have different buy-in to the brand. And then from there, maybe instead of speaking to like the lowest common denominator, and maybe the community that has the farthest or like the least amount of investment to the brand, they're speaking to the most invested. Right. And then that message, if it is a bit more like direct or whatever, that feels like the most authentic version of what a brand can be on different social media platforms. Yeah, I think so. Because what we're seeing is brands who are like, this is how we've done things for a really long time. And then you realize, well, what you're doing isn't working. So you do need to re-navigate. And I think that's what you're talking about, which is we're going to go in and look at what's working, what's not working, who is our current audience. Maybe it's changed over time. And then we're going to tailor a little bit of our messaging towards this new audience, this new generation. We want to be constantly evolving as a company. We're growing. We are organically moving together. We're a community now, whatever it is, you want to continuously go back and say, is this working? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mitzi, I loved before when you mentioned taking into consideration your employees. So I think that we're talking a lot about how the customer felt and what did they want to see. But 
it's so important to think about how your your team was doing and how your employees were doing. And if we if we think about it, I mean, black employees' emotional health, it was on the line. And so to me, that's more important than whether or not you lose a customer that is making a $50 purchase every couple of months. And of course, brands have different priorities. But if you don't have a strong and healthy team and workforce, then I, I don't think you have anything really. And so I really love thinking about it was so important for employees who are minorities to see how their brand was responding, to see how their leaders were responding, and to see even just internally were their leaders saying, hey, it's been a crazy time, especially if you work at an agency or in social media leaders. And Mike and Mitzi, you guys have done this a couple of times at Arcade when there's a really intense day in the world, but playing out through social media, checking in with us. How are you guys doing? It can be hard when we're experiencing these world events and we're in we're on social media all day. So it's really important for us to to think about employee health. Totally. So my question now, can I ask a question? Oh yeah. <laughs> Is if you're working for a brand or a company, they're not doing that. Okay. They're not asking how you're doing. They clearly don't care. And maybe they're not responding really well. Do you leave quit and or do you cancel them i think it depends i have canceled brands <laughs> because of the way they've historically treated black employees right and if i can vote with my dollar and choose not to shop there then i won't also i want to note that a brand saying something online a statement that maybe missed the mark a little bit is different than a brand who discriminates against and has damaged the emotional, physical well-being of their employees. So we can't lump it all together. Mm -hmm. There are brands who deserve to be canceled because of true human issues. Other brands who maybe put out a statement, again, didn't quite hit it. We can work with that. But there's varying degrees of things that went wrong during that time right. and in the past. Right. Totally. Yeah, I think there's definitely room for brands to to admit that, yes, I messed up, but here's what I'm doing now. And I by no means would cancel that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think exactly what you said, Mel, like when it comes to employees coming out in mass saying like these deep-rooted issues that come from like that kind of mindset or that kind of leadership or abuse from the top, then that's where I'm like, I'm going to pay attention to that. And that's not where I'll choose to invest my money. And that came out on social media as well. Mm -hmm. There was a couple, and I don't think that we'll name names. There was a couple of very large companies that um, Instagram accounts came out um, and they were sharing stories from employees or people that were involved with the company and sharing stories of abuse. And it was devastating. It was absolutely devastating to read and to see. And again, like Mincy said, to the, just the volume of stories that were coming out. And again, there's there's a major difference there. And I think it was great that social media gave a platform for people's stories to be heard and for them to demand change. A lot of these accounts were actually created um, specifically demanding change and demanding the receipts and for things to happen. So um, ultimately, I think that was positive in terms of making changes. Totally. So let's talk about when a brand does get called out. So is there a scenario where, Mel, I, I'm going to ask you this question, where a brand is being called out, should 
ignore the haters? And does every call out deserve some serious attention? I think there's nuance to everything, but in this situation, I don't think that I don't think there really is a situation where I would advise a brand to ignore the haters. And the reason I say that is because if people are expressing that they were offended or discriminated against, um, you have to listen to them and you you can't tell them what their experience was. So at that point, it happened. People are upset. How do we move forward? I like the idea of calling people in instead of calling people out so you can have a more productive conversation. We've seen this time and time again. When you call someone out, they will typically shut down. They aren't open to learning and growing. Again, this is different from a brand versus individual. Um, but especially, I think I saw with with influencers being called out, it didn't help. It almost made the situation worse. And they were not willing to have any sort of conversation. And it was just a mess with a couple of people. Okay, so if you're in, in, in an agency environment like you are, how do you advise the client on next steps if they have been called out? My advice is to be timely in your response. Um, and this really comes down to having the resources and the team behind you. So we have to be empathetic that not every brand has a social media manager or a team behind them or a communications professional to help them. But my advice would be to be as timely as possible. Uh, you want to be direct, um, not skirt around the issue, address it head on. And then moving forward, do you want to do better? So we have talked about this, but I think ultimately we people want to see action. And um, if people are asking for that change on social media and they're asking for receipts, um, for the most part, I would say you need to provide them. And yeah, people want to see action and numbers and not just fluffy PR statements. Leah, when a brand has been called out, communication during that time is so critical. Oftentimes it becomes more of a focus of attention than the original blender, the way people respond to the, the call out, whatever it is. What do you think is the ideal approach to responding to a critique or call out that is warranted? Because I know there are, you know, sometimes where it might not be warranted or it's just more of a miscommunication or whatever. Our people are rushing to accuse someone of something or accuse a brand of something. But let's first start off with what you think an ideal approach to responding to a critique that's warranted. Yeah. So I would say for me personally, the most attractive quality in any leader is humility and I would say that looks like taking a hard and honest look at yourself, or if you're a brand, looking at what's going on and saying, is there something wrong here? Did we do something misstep? Did we say something that was off or inappropriate? And I would say, start there. And it really does always start with humility because that's going to come through in the language that you end up using. And I think that that's it goes such a long way to say, I messed up mm -hmm. and there was a problem here and I definitely didn't see it. And I'm so glad that it was pointed out because I want to change and I want to grow. And I really do care about how people feel. And that's, to me, a sign of humility. And then, of course, I think behind the scenes, it's going to start with allowing people to hold you accountable for the concerns and issues that you have going on and asking people to help you grow. And then I would say like the messaging should come from there. So I think that 
every leader, if you are a leader, if you want to be a leader in your community or in your industry, it is really going to be allowing yourself to come to that place where you're like, I need people around me who see my blind spots, who see my limitations, and I want to be better. And then from that place, you can work with them, ideally, to come up with some action, come up with some, let's say, deliverables of what's going to happen, what's going to look like next, and then communicate from there. And I would say if I'm working with a brand, it really would be to ask them, you know, like I said already, to just really figure out what is it that you're going to do. And then going ahead with your post to say in most in the most humble and honest way you can to really acknowledge and say you're right and just let people know that you are doing actionable things around mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And it isn't, I can't be more specific than that, I think, because it really is going to depend on the situation. Mm-hmm. Is there any language that you can think of that you should avoid if you're going to post something after you've kind of done that like inner work? Yeah, totally. So I would say first, like I said already, I would say beware of virtue signaling, which mm-hmm. is essentially attempting to minimize the issue by showing how you're a really good person and you've done some great things. Nobody wants to see that. And maybe you are a really good person and maybe you have a lot of black friends and you love black people. (laughs) Um, But I can't say there's anything more cringeworthy than hearing that. And then I would say, you know, obviously avoiding things like gaslighting. You don't really want to uh, get into that territory either. And so I would say there's a lot of, for me, again, the the specificity of the situation is going to determine what kind of language you use. But of course, I would say, I would probably avoid saying I'm sorry. Okay. I think that sorry is overused personally. And I don't think that that's what people really want. I would say avoid, again, what you're saying, fluffy language. That is, um, I'm listening and I'm learning. And I'm like, that's nice. What are you listening to? Exactly. What are you learning? Exactly. So I think it is, it's just avoiding the the base language, which is I'm, I'm saying just enough to get people off my back. And so it would come down to really just avoiding a fluffy apology saying, I'm really sorry for what I did. Well, an apology is action. So if you're trying to apologize, you're actually showing someone, I regret what I did and now I'm going to do things differently. So don't just say you're sorry. Show me that you're sorry. Right. Right. So that's why I would say, don't just say you're sorry. Mm -hmm. I also don't love seeing like, I'm sorry you were offended or for people who were offended. Totally. I'm like, what you said was offensive. And (laughs) completely minimizes Mm -hmm. the situation. And I think to... Just going back to being specific, I think, and also going back to humility, I think there's something important about if it is a leadership problem, like a CEO, for example, then the language should be from the position of the leader. You know, like I did this, I recognize my mistake, this is what I'm doing to repair it. If it's a brand issue, then it should be more like, 
likely we language, you know, like this is what we are doing to own what we have done or, or failed to do. And this is how uh, we're planning to move forward so that we can, you know, protect a relationship that we have with you. But that's, that's so crucial, at least from what I've seen on social specifically, but even just in, you know, conversations, interviews, times when messages have been exposed, you know, things like that. I think it's so crucial for uh, if a, the individual is the subject of like being canceled or called out, then they need to speak from the position of themselves mm-hmm. and not hide yeah. behind their brand. And I agree. on social media, we've seen this. Uh, people are specifically looking to see if your statements are coming from I or we, and they're they're taking note. So that's very important. And if you if you need help crafting your message to get your point across, I would recommend a copywriter. There mm-hmm. you go. It's at Hello Arcade. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I want to go into a scenario where maybe a brand's being called out, but it's more to do with like an an unintentional oversight. Like we mentioned, there's lots of people who are looking and scouring for, you know, evidence of blunders or misrepresentation or whatever without doing the homework and seeing what they're actually doing. And I know, Mel, you've kind of gone through this a little bit with some of the clients that you work with. I'm curious, like, Lee, if you want to walk us through where there's a scenario that maybe a brand's being called out and maybe it's not totally like, you know, true what they're saying what's the best way to to navigate that yeah so i would definitely say again starting at a place of humility which is understanding that there was something that upset a group of people and trying to understand and navigate why it is they're upset and what is the real problem at hand because i do think that there's a lot of people who will use something or situation in a scapegoat kind of way. So they're going to target all of their energy, that pent up anger towards something. And I think it's also important to understand that that's what happens sometimes. You have a mob mentality. It's going to get into this binary of the us versus them. And then a, a mob is always looking for a scapegoat. And so you have to, I think, understand honestly, sometimes the mob is just there with their pitchforks And the reality of that is they're going to keep moving along. But I do understand that those people are still people who are hurting and they are confused or they're upset. Whatever it is, the situation you're dealing with, I would say, take the humility to say, I'm listening to you. I hear what you're saying. And I want to learn how to do this differently. So I've brought in this accountability. I've brought in a team. I'm doing this specific example here, work. And I'm going to navigate this with my team and my community. And I do think it's important not to give the mob a lot of power. So you're not saying, hey, guys, what do you want to see differently? The mob, they can't be appeased. You know, they are just riled up and rowdy. And so I think what you want to do is still take some agency to say, okay, I'm going to make some decisions and tell people what I'm going to do. And then I would say, if you really feel like you didn't do anything wrong. It really was a miscommunication, a misunderstanding. You could try to remedy that and say, hey guys, this is what happened. This is the conversation that happened. I'm going to try to clarify the situation for you because maybe you have a situation where people are flocking to your Instagram and they just found out through someone else they follow that, 
oh my gosh, you said something racist or you did something wrong. I can't even believe you. And I think what's important is not to take those statements personally if you are a person, especially a small business owner or a creative or an artist, to try not to take those personally because once again, that mob mentality, they're just out for some blood and they don't know the full story. So I would say there's a few different approaches. You can tell the story, tell that story from a point of humility, right? And I'm, I'm a little bit at fault here too. Takes two to tango. I've played a role in this. This is what's happening. And then making sure to just be kind of as honest, I think, and as humble as possible, but then just move forward, you know, make that statement, um, let people know, maybe it's clarifying the situation and then just moving forward, not trying to ignore people, but just really saying, okay, this is the, what, this is the action that we're going forward with. And that's it. We're moving on Mm -hmm. because I don't know what more you want from me. And because essentially the mob wants blood. So they, they're they like, we're canceling you. We want you dead. It's like, no, you can't really listen to that. So you have to just keep moving forward and trust the mob is going to move forward. I think in essence. Yeah. yeah. And I, it does. I think that there's power in trying to take people away from the mob. So in terms of just purely day-to-day social media perspective, I would say that there's a lot of work being done in the DMs. So I would encourage people to, if you are on the front lines of social media accounts, be available. And when someone's comment or message comes in that they're upset, you said something they didn't like, or they're inquiring about, you know, what what are you doing? How are you what type of work are you doing to um, amplify black voices or, you know, where is your money going? I would say try to get them in the DM. I find that it's happened on countless occasions where I've been on the other side of an angry message. I respond right away with what the brand is doing, you know, acknowledge their experience, all of these wonderful tips that we have. But even just being there and responding in a timely manner, I've had people come back to me and say, I'm sorry, I was having a really bad morning and I I took one look at your Instagram feed and I didn't see enough diversity and I went off on you, but I wasn't, this wasn't actually directed at you. And I actually appreciate all of the effort, all of the efforts that your brand is making. So I think if you can get people um, on an individual level in a private setting, it can be, you can disarm them. But then also just remember that um, those DMs can be made public. And of course, that's okay because we're doing good work in there. So if they're published, we're good. But just always keep that in mind. Totally. That's such a good tip because I feel like if you're in the DMs and say you've been corrected or you're like, okay, you're right, I was wrong, people are so much more willing to admit that maybe they like – reacted or they were wrong or after doing more research, they realize that you actually aren't doing the things that they said that you were. And they're way less likely to like apologize and say that kind of stuff in a public comments. So like having that space in the DM to be like, hey, this is what we're doing, like blah, blah, blah. Like I feel like that kind of like resolution is more likely to happen. Love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that there's something to say about Letting those conversations happen with the people who really care in the DMs or let's say avoiding posting on your feed so much about it, maybe post a story about it, the people who care are going to be paying attention. And then if people show up on the feed and they're like, well, why didn't you say anything? 
your followers are coming in and going, well, she posted a story about it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're not giving people a place to then come down and like rain some fire on your post more and more. So it's also like whatever statement you want to make, maybe you make it an Instagram story, you make that statement and then, yeah, you take it into the DMs if people have other questions. Yeah. And that's interesting to note as well. Not everyone sees your content all of the time, especially, you know, wherever you post it. If you're if you're posting it to your stories, there's gonna be a lot of people that that miss that. Right. So in terms of when an issue arises, can you over communicate? I don't think that you can because it's naive to think that people are seeing everything that you put out. Right. So I would prefer to cover your bases and have a couple of different forums for people to be able to enter the conversation and to not just have a one and done. Oh, we posted a story that was up for 24 hours. We addressed the situation, but now we're not open to talking about it. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, it's good. I definitely think that there's like a nuance there too. Like this, the word of the day, nuance. (laughs) Yes. Because if you weren't, if you didn't do anything wrong and it really is just as a mob thing, Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily want to continue talking about it too much. Of course. Yeah. It really depends. Are you in the wrong? Yeah. Totally. One of the reasons people were getting called out was due to diversity inclusion, because often brands in question aren't doing enough to support people of color through either representation in their marketing or through their hiring. So Mel, I want to ask you, what are some action items that you think people are looking for from companies who have been criticized for not doing enough on those fronts? Wow. Great question. There's a lot to unpack there. But I think, yeah, in general, social media is is such a huge part of our day-to-day lives. So diversity and inclusion is paramount. And it's really something that we need to be thinking about. I think that a good social media marketer is an inclusive social media marketer. So of course, brands have their target audiences, but your content should never alienate, exclude, or discriminate against anyone. Um, This looks like using diverse models in your marketing material. This goes for age, race, gender, body type. It also looks like accessibility. So using alt text on Instagram for visually impaired individuals, captioning your videos on TikTok for hearing impaired individuals. And I just wanted to note, I think I touched on this earlier, but we also have to have empathy for brands um, and we need to critically consider who we're putting under fire. So a small business that is in a small town and they have limited resources, they're bootstrapping their business, they're sourcing people that are on their staff to do modeling gigs. That's very different than a large global brand that not only has the means to hire models to choose exactly who those models are, but they also have the means to hire diversity, inclusion, and accessibility experts to come in and to consult for them. So we have to be careful when we're when we're looking and we're trying to hold brands accountable, we have to consider what resources they have and not every brand has the same resources. But in general, it's definitely something that all brands should be considering um, diversity in their marketing. It's so visual. It's so present. If you think about what marketing is, it's trying to get your message, your product out to as many people as possible. So we need to make sure that that is including all types of people so that everyone sees themselves represented. Mm -hmm. I am so glad that you brought up the small business thing because I've I've actually thought about that. And I I do have so much empathy 
for small businesses who are trying to navigate all of this and also feel that pressure to like rise up and come up with a statement of some sort and do all this work that we've been talking about for the last hour, but on their own is so tough. And also I think the the crazy thing about social media and maybe like, let's just talk about Instagram. Instagram is one platform that kind of sets expectations for every brand and how they should be like using Instagram. So for example, if like the, I don't know, the Nikes of the world came out with the a statement, then every like small mom and pop also feels like they have to come up with a statement. And I don't always think that it's necessary for smaller brands to to do that or if it's even required of them. But for Nike to do that when they have like literally hundreds and thousands of employees, hundreds and thousands of stakeholders, they're a publicly traded company, like all these other factors, their statement carries so much more weight than a small business would. And it's not necessarily the same amount of responsibility, but the expectations are the same because it's the same format. People are just seeing it through their feed and scrolling through and expecting the same behavior from every single brand. So I think as users and even as marketers, we need to like be vocal about what are the expectations for these big brands who, you know, are multi-million dollar brands and have, you know, hundreds and thousands of stakeholders compared to what our expectations are for a smaller brand. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. And and we should take a more critical eye at a statement that Nike puts out because we know they have the resources behind it. Mm-hmm. And we also know how wide-reaching that is. Mm-hmm. And when, when yeah, a Nike commercial, we, we're looking – I mean, the, Nike is, is pretty great um, with regards to diversity, but – like people are looking for that and they should be because they Mm -hmm. have the money to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it actually naturally, there's cases where it's sort of mismatched, but naturally it kind of works out in that sense where the brands with the widest reaching message are the ones that have resources behind them. And so it's appropriate for us to demand more of them. Whereas the mom and pop shop with 300 Instagram followers Maybe their message isn't perfectly crafted um, because it was the owner who was who was writing it, um, but because it isn't as far reaching. Again, we just have to have empathy and you know hope that their heart is their heart and their actions are in the right place, and we're moving on. Totally, yeah. Like more influence is more responsibility, as it should be. Absolutely, and you represent a wider demographic of people, mm-hmm. and that, that's obviously and something. Your, your customers are a wider demographic. Absolutely, of people. yeah. Leah, I want to switch to you a little bit. So amplifying voices and uh, point of views is one way to promote diversity in your marketing and social plan. What are some ways that brands can do that? How can they include more diverse voices in their marketing and social media like planning? Yeah, so I think it starts internally. It's going to start with you hiring people of color and diverse people who are coming from diverse backgrounds. Exactly. And uh, I know that's why you hired me, just because I'm a a woman of color. You know, I'm actually not that good at my job. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, But, you know, pay them well. Invite them into boardrooms and into meetings. Put them into positions where they're making decisions and running campaigns. We all hear this idea or this this phrase, which was which is. If a person of color were in that room, that magazine spread, that commercial wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. And you know what's sad about that? 
probably there weren't any people of color in the room or they were there, but they didn't feel like they had a voice to speak up. So you're also making space to say, I want to hear what you have to say. We want you to contribute. We value you and your opinion. You can bring a perspective that we don't have. And I think every good leader should do that. Every good brand should do that. And you should surround yourselves with people who are stronger than you in the areas of your weakness, you know, because as a woman of color on a diverse team, um, (laughs) yeah, just a little shout out. Um, I, I personally think, and not to like toot my own horn or anything, but I think I bring perspective and insight to our clients that could potentially be overlooked. Mm -hmm. For instance, we had a conversation one day about emojis and what color of emojis to use great conversation by was, the way. Thank you. It was a it was a really good thing to think about because our brands and our our clients maybe aren't thinking about this, but is yellow a neutral colored emoji? Some people would say no, it's not. Some people would say, yeah, no problem. So it's also understanding how are you communicating to your diverse audience? Even with the use of emojis on Instagram, in the the way you speak, another conversation, which was, are we spelling women W-O-M-X-N or are we using an E? And that's even just a conversation that we can have because we're a diverse team and we're having these conversations, not just in the workplace, but at home and with our friends. And it's something that's important to us. Like, that's really important to me. I grew up looking at brands and I'm like, I don't see myself. I don't see myself in the ads. I don't see myself in the magazines. I don't see myself in these TV shows. And so I look at brands and I'm like, I would like to see myself represented. So of course, I'm going to try to do that as of someone who works on a team, right? And so it's, that's, I I think for me, the first place to start. And then of course, you can be sharing your platform in multiple different ways. So I saw a lot of brands and platforms last summer invite women of color or people of color to share and talk about their perspectives and other brands who, again, highlighted businesses and creatives. And I really enjoyed being able to see how people were able to use their influence in a responsible way to elevate different voices and to point attention back to a community that um, is often not always seen, right? And so if you're a big brand, let's say you're a Nike you have an opportunity to point some direction towards people that only you could do maybe. And mm-hmm. that's a really beautiful thing. So it's also sharing sharing that space, right? And being able to give other people power, give other people influence, give other people some attention because mm-hmm. it's really not all about your white perspective. <laughs> and I, it's, it's so funny that, that you say that because I think like right now, Everyone agrees how important it was, but pre 2020, I feel like that wasn't really a conversation that we had. And me, also as a woman of color, I feel like I have to say that because it's an audio <laughs> format. I don't know if people know that, but um, like I, I would notice when I did see diversity, and I'd be like, woohoo! Like, look at all these people of color in this ad. So progressive. Yeah, and now it's like, wait. Who, why wasn't there a person of color in this ad? So I love mm-hmm. that right now people are like, one, paying attention to it and also looking to hire more people in the rooms to make those decisions of who, you know, who they're casting, who are the influencers they're working with, all of that stuff. Yeah. 
Um, so I think it's super important. And as marketers, like that's the stuff that could go viral. Like I mm-hmm. remember, I think it was in the summer, but there was this one image of this little boy in a wheelchair looking up in like, I don't know, it was like a Target or, or Walmart or something looking up in awe of this huge ad of a boy in a wheelchair who looked just like him. And yeah. I think like that photo went everywhere. People were talking about it. And I was like, that's like as a marketer, that's what you're wanting to achieve. So why not include representation in all of your assets so that like it's more likely to resonate with other communities? Absolutely. It's so bittersweet because an image like that is so powerful, but you almost wish that it wasn't so powerful. You wish that that was normal for this little boy to see himself represented in in marketing. So it is really funny. We need to take inventory of where we were and where we are now. As Mitzi said before, seeing a panel of um, a diverse panel with regards to race and age and gender, it was like, woohoo, let's Mm -hmm. go. Like, this is amazing. And Mm -hmm. as Mike said, so progressive. And while like, that's great, it's like, we ultimately want to get to the point where we don't have that reaction. It's just expected, but we have to acknowledge that that's not where we are. And it's a work in progress. And I think that that's what some people, when they were part of the conversation, they were talking about, well, you know, it's 2020, like we we don't have those issues or like we don't have those issues in Canada. It's like, where have you been living? And let's just address it and let's have that hard conversation mm-hmm. and let's not try to pretend that racism doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah, it's not fixed. Yeah, absolutely. It's not fixed. Mm-hmm. No. And I think it's important just to even just start with certain questions like, are we inclusive as a brand? Are we representing a wide range of people? And if not, who is missing? And how can we include that narrative or those people or whatever it is? And, you know, I've grown up always looking for that. And I really love to see and hear a lot of my friends who are white who are like, hey, wait a minute, there's no people of color here. And I'm like, oh, you care too? But maybe it's a new thing that you care about. And that's totally fine. But calling brands out to say, hey, I'm curious, like, can I see this? Even if it doesn't represent you, Mm -hmm. right? Use your voice and use your position. If you have influence at your company, if you have influence with a client, if you have influence online. Use your voice to say, hey, I would love to see this. Mm-hmm. Can can I see more of this content? Okay, so we've covered a lot, um, but I do want to just give, you know, you both a chance to speak uh, to small businesses. And is there anything else that you'd say or add or any advice that you'd offer to any small business who are trying to navigate some of these conversations? Yeah, I would say, like, first of all, be well-read and well-versed on the topics. Find the space and time to delve into the conversation and how you can play a role that is still appropriate. So maybe what you do is you start reading some literature, you listen to podcasts, you talk to some people in your community, and you learn about what people are going through in your personal sphere and how you can come alongside them to support them. So maybe you're going to offer your space. Maybe you have a brick and mortar and you want to allow people to come in to host an event or some kind of thing that's a community need. So I would say like get specific to what's going on in your community and then decide whether you want to donate money or sew into the community in a different way. And then don't be ashamed or afraid to make a bold statement. And maybe you're going to you know, say, screw the common denominator narrative that everyone's expecting. I'm 
I know people are looking for leaders right now. And even though I'm in a small town or even though I'm in a niche industry, I'm going to use my voice to speak to my community. And I'm going to use my voice with intention and in the most responsible way. So I would say, don't be afraid to vocalize your values. Don't be afraid to dive into how you can support your community. And I think that that's what the beauty of small business is. You're part of a community and you contribute to the richness and beauty and well-being of the people around you. And understand that you're not just a person with a story. People are looking at you and they trust you and maybe they really love your business and they want to work with you. I love it. That's great advice. How about you, Mel? I think that in 2020, we saw which companies had a properly equipped social media team, even if that was just one person. Um, and we saw which companies were left scrambling a bit and they had people who are not very well versed in social media. They were putting out statements. Maybe they missed the mark. I think that not every small business, of course, can afford to work with an agency or to have a dedicated social media person. But personally, as a social media professional, 2020 showed the value of social media professionals and communications professionals in general. Um, and I think it just showed that, you know, it's, it's for the most part, it's not interns running brands, social media accounts. Um, and there's so much more to being a social media professional than being able to curate an aesthetic Instagram feed. Um, so overall, just 2020 was, was a, a very, it was a year where we learned a lot um, as individuals in the industry and, um, in terms of advice, I would say to invest either in a relationship like an agency relationship or invest in a, a role in-house um, to have someone dedicated to social media or communications. I think we just saw how important it was. Great advice. Thank you both for sharing all of your knowledge and your wisdom and your experience in this area. Is there anything else you want to add? Any last final words of wisdom? I would say have compassion for yourself and where you're at and know that we're all in a process of navigating and learning how to be unified as a community of people and know that there's grace and time for you to learn to grow and do better. And I think it's important to understand pace and know that you'd never become an expert overnight and growth and healing comes through intentional time and effort consistently. So my advice is be consistent. If you really want to see change happen, you have to do the work every day. And if you want to see healing happen, you have to do the work every day. What I would add is that I hope that this conversation doesn't end here. Mm -hmm. I think that the four of us could agree that we could probably continue talking for a couple of hours, but we do have to get back to our work day. So my hope would be that, um, you know, we don't want this conversation to be something where we're talking at you. And even though we offered a lot of advice, we're humans like you and we're evolving and learning and we're open to talking about whatever you would like. So slide into our DMs <laughs> if if you want to talk about anything we talked about on the episode or there's just always so much for us to learn. And thank you, Mike and Mitzi, for having Leah and I on. It was so much fun. And this is really the part of my job that I love. And it's such interesting work and it feels like it's important work. And so I'm just 
happy to be here. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. We loved being able to have this conversation with you. Well, we loved having it. Before we let you go, though, we want to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests on the podcast. Who is making waves right now and why? I had quite a few, so I had to narrow it down. I'm really into educational content, um, especially on Instagram. I love seeing these graphics that are not only beautiful, but educational. And from a social media perspective, they're very savable and shareable. So I'm just all about it. So a couple of accounts that I think do a really good job of this, um, they're both on Instagram. The first one, um, the handle is Ansa Malik. Um, that's her name. And she is a social media marketer. Her ebook is insane. It's so valuable. It's all about social media growth, um, and it's really helpful for influencers, brands, and basically anyone working in the industry. And then the other account that I really love um, is Later Media. So they are, um, it's a social media scheduling tool, but the amount of free resources that they provide is insane. It's content marketing at its finest. If you haven't checked out Later Media on Instagram or their blog, if you work in the industry or if you're at all interested in Instagram or marketing or influencer stuff. It's just an incredible resource. So I don't spend a ton of time on social media, but I'm very specific about who I do follow. And I really like Elaine Welteroth. She is this incredible voice online right now. She's on the talk. She is an author of a book called More Than Enough. And she's the former Teen Vogue, I believe, editor-in-chief. Yes. And I just... I just love her candid honesty, and I think that she carries such a a beautiful perspective on current conversations. So I really, I really love what she's doing. And you know, I'm more of like a fashion person, so I would say like there's a lot of different brands that I appreciate that are maybe just doing making smaller waves, little splashes. But I think any brand that's just doing a good job to be more focused on sustainable efforts, uh, ethical fashion, one of the brands I like is a Canadian brand called Cotton, K-O-T-N. And uh, I kind of know them as a team and I just really admire their value to do kind of like farm to table, but for clothing. And they work with producers and manufacturers in Egypt. And I just love their give back programs. And then I would say, yeah, Mitzi and Mike Payne, <laughs> wow. just legends. They are these idea people. It's just like you can't stop them. There's just nothing they can't do. I don't know if you guys have heard of them, but they're doing amazing things and making big waves. I've never heard of them, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, like <laughs> watch out, out, watch out. Cool. Last question for real this time. You already invited people to slide into your DMs. So can you please just let them know where to do that so that they don't all land in mine? <laughs> yes, of course. Um, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Melanie Loren. So that's M-E-L-A-N-I-E-L-A-U-R-E-N-E. Every time I say that, I have to think very hard about how to spell my own name, um, but that's on Instagram and Twitter. And then if you are a TikTok person, and if you aren't, you got to get on there, but you can find me on TikTok at your internet big sis. Love that. Yeah. Please don't Google my name because some stuff is going to come up. Don't do I it. I am going to. Um, I would say for me, you can 
Also find me on Instagram, Leah Victoria Suku. And I'll spell it for you because I'm feeling kind today. L-E-A-H, Victoria, like Victoria, S-O-O-K-O-O, four O's, okay? So that's where you can find me. And then you could write me a letter, maybe, a love note, right to my house. Where Are would, you going to drop yeah, the address? No. <laughs> Not drop DM the address. me for the address. <laughs> okay, nice, nice, yeah. nice. Love that. Well, thank you both so much for being on the podcast. It's so fun to have you. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah. Important conversation for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This episode of Wave Social Podcast is powered by Arcade Studios. Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found at wavesocialpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you've got questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, hit us up at wavesocial on Instagram. Thanks for joining us.